Uh, if you have a Bible, we're in 1 Samuel 3, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, an awesome, awesome story, but also an invitation for you and me uh, to walk in the footsteps of a young boy um, who lived in a world that was not making it easy on him to serve the Lord. There was nobody in his life uh, 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 directly, he'd actually been brought to the Lord's house and left there um, by his mother, but there was nobody in his life directly that was really facilitating a relationship with God, yet he, through his own persistence and through uh, the, from the prayers of his mother and from the Lord, of course, um, drawing him in, uh, he became one of uh, the Bible's uh, most celebrated heroes, and single-handedly, uh, he is remembered as helping to build the kingdom uh, that Israel uh, be- became, not a physical kingdom uh, necessarily, but a spiritual kingdom. And that's what this whole series is all about, about God raising up a kingdom uh, from the, one of the darkest time periods of Israel's history. Uh, the book of Judges reminds us again and again and again that in those days, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And because there was no king, there was no kingdom because they weren't serving the Lord and they weren't being the people God had called them and enabled them to be. So they were all kind of just wandering around. They were all just sort of uh, aimlessly looking in for, for direction and, and following their own flesh and their own desires. Yet God began to raise up people one at a time. He started with Hannah. He continued with Samuel. And eventually it'll turn into a kingdom, a nationwide Revival. So we're going to get into more of that tonight. I want to begin by reading chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 4, and kind of setting the table for uh, what is going to be a conversation about listening, listening to what God has to say. Uh, hence the title, Ears to Hear. So 1 Samuel 3, the Bible says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, if you notice the progression of that sentence, it's very long and continuous. It kind of emphasizes that things were stacked against the people in the land. There was no widespread revelation. Uh, the priest had a very dim vision, symbolic of the whole nation, not having a very uh, a, a vision for God, a very uh, a clear understanding of God. Uh, the lamp of God, maybe it was flickering, maybe it was about to go out. All these things are, are reminding us that this was a time when it was not very easy to serve the Lord, and there wasn't a lot of things encouraging people to serve the, God, for, serve the Lord, and there were, weren't a lot of things making it an attractive thing or an easy thing. So all those things working against the people, nonetheless, verse 4, the Lord called to Samuel and he answered, here I am. I want to bring up something I think all of us can agree with tonight um, uh, that I think is probably the most impossible task you can ever try to accomplish. Now, you might think there's a lot of hard things in this world, but I don't think there's many things more difficult than this which is listening to two instructors at the same time. 
for the purpose of obeying the instructors. It's hard enough to listen to one instructor, but try listening to two at the same time. I'm not just talking about the act of literally trying to listen and take in to audible feeds and audible voices, but I'm talking about the extent of not uh, of going beyond hearing, but doing what you're instructed to do, taking orders, directions, advice from two or more sources at the same time. If you ever try to do that, it's a very chaotic experience. There's a reason why when you're in school, they only give you one teacher at a time because if, you're, if you had a teacher at the front of the room, at the back of the room, and you were asked to take notes to both of their lectures, you wouldn't really get anything out of the lecture. It would just be a very confusing experience. And, and nonetheless, though, we often try to listen to multiple things at the same time. We often tune our ears into multiple sources at the same time. If you've ever, if you've ever had headphones on before and now they're wireless and it's really easy to do this, it's just tempting and I, I, I struggle with this. Um, if you ever put headphones on, you know that you can't hear what's going on around you if you've got headphones plugging your ears and you're listening to something in the headphones. You're, you, you, people might be talking to you on the other side of those headphones, but you're not going to hear what they're saying. You might see a mouth move, but you know if you're listening to music or listening to some radio program or whatever uh, and, and, and the noise is in your ears and you, you know, they're all covered up and someone else is trying to talk to you on the outside in the real world, um, good luck listening to what they're saying. You're just going to see their mouth moving and you're just going to tune them out because, again, you're listening to something else. Uh, maybe the most disorienting thing you can ever try to do is to have one ear tuned into one thing and then have the other ear tuned into something else. Your brain was not meant to handle that kind of dynamic. Now, we all know that what this is like as kids. When our parents walk in the room and they say, uh, they say something to us and, and we just respond with a yeah or a okay because we didn't listen to what they said because we're tuned into something else, right? Uh, we know what it's like to listen to two sources at the same time, but it's impossible to truly listen and comprehend what both sources are trying to say. Our brains don't work like that. They weren't made for that. Now, I don't think there's any, this is any rocket science. We know how important it is to focus and hear and retain whatever is being said. Uh, when you're a child from uh, childhood on, uh, it's vital not only for the satisfaction of whoever's talking to us, but for our own good. If you're going to get something out of what you're listening to, you better pay attention. To it, right? From home to school to work to your hobbies, uh, whatever information you're trying to get uh, and, and, and you're trying to, to um, learn something or, or, or in, get informed about something that, you know, if, if you're plugged into something and, and, and you're trying to listen to, to multiple things at the same time, it's, it's just not going to work out. I mean, even something as unessential as watching television or watching a movie, if you're going to actually enjoy it, you're going to have to give it your full attention. Now, I think all of us have been at that point before we're reading a book and then we get distracted and you know you're you turn three or four pages and you think what did I just read and, and maybe you were just trying maybe you were like you were in school and you were told hey you got to read three chapters tonight before the next day and you read those three chapters but you were also talking and you were also eating and you were also watching tv and you may have passed over the words with your eyes, but you didn't read the chapters, did you? Uh, we've all watched TV before, and, and maybe we were talking, and then next thing you know, you missed 10 minutes of the show or the movie because you were watching it, but you were also talking and doing other things, and that just doesn't really accomplish anything. Why would we even waste the time watching something or reading something if you're just going to give it your half of your attention? 
It just doesn't really make a lot of sense, yet we do it a lot, don't we? Now, the funny thing is, uh, we do this kind of stuff all the time. We're always trying to juggle multiple activities or assignments at once, and it usually means we end up doing everything halfway or even less than that. So, when it comes to serious situations, or at least ones where you're under someone's authority or on their clock, you know, your parent or your teacher or a boss, um, they are not too pleased when our attention is split, are they? Uh, your, your, your mama or your dad or your boss or a teacher, they're not very happy with you or they weren't very happy with you uh, or your husband or your wife or whatever, right? They're not very happy with you whenever you are not paying attention to what they are saying to you. And, and maybe they don't know for a fact that we're not listening or that we're tuned out, um, but when we end up not doing what we're expected to do, how many times have someone asked you, hey, would you do this? And you say, oh yeah, I'll do that. And then a couple hours later, uh, they, they ask ask if you did it and, and you didn't do it. And a lot of times we just forget, right? A lot of times it's just from, a, you know, it's not from a malicious place. It's just that we're human and we forget. A lot of times though, we say, yeah, and we didn't really listen to what they ask us to do. And that's just our nature, flawed as it is. Uh, you know, who in here hasn't been scolded or maybe talked too sternly uh, about the importance of paying attention? Uh, the importance of listening. Now, it, you know, you can be distracted in more ways than just not listening attentively. Um, you know, we drive distractively. Uh, we, we do a lot of things distracted and with divided attentions. In many uh, cases, the implications can be very serious. You don't want a doctor, a surgeon to walk in the room, you know, with, with, with trying to you know, juggle four or five things at one time. That's just not something you really feel good about. You don't want a dentist to walk in the room and, you know, having three or four conversations while they're doing something important to your mouth nonetheless right we're driving down the road we're doing something at work and we're trying to do you know think on multiple things and, and have multiple conversations at one time or listen to this and that it usually does not result in a good product now there are literally hundreds of YouTube videos uh, at, the, uh, at the expense of other people. You, you can laugh at them. Go on YouTube and just type in uh, people not paying attention or people walking into stuff. And you'll find hundreds of videos of people walking into poles or walking into glass or walking into, you know, people on their phones and they're just, you know, face planting into something. That, you know, and it's funny, but it's not funny, right? It, it, it's kind of uh, calm, it, it's kind of reflective of our, our divided attention uh, generation. But people have been divided in their attention since the beginning of time. We just now take videos of people like that and make fun of them. Um, you know, you can humor yourself all you want, but, but someone walking into a poll because they're texting is kind of a visual equivalent uh, to listening to two or more sources at the same time and expecting to get anything out of either of them. Kind of like when you're at church and, you know, the preacher's just talking and talking and talking and you're also doing something else. You don't always listen, hear what he's saying, do you? Um, but that's, that again, that's a whole other, whole other thing. Uh, it's just not going to work out. So you can probably guess where we're going with this. How crucial and how critical do you think it is that we give God our undivided, open-minded attention? On a scale of, of, of not a big deal to a very big deal, in the, in the scheme of eternity, how critical do you think it is that you give God your undivided, your open-minded attention? 
I think it's pretty critical. I think it's a really big deal, don't you? As important as it is that you focus on the, 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 the yellow and white line when you're driving, as important as it is that you pay attention to what you're reading so that you can pass the test, as important as it is that you do what your boss told you to do and make sure you listen in the meeting to the next day you will have a good report, as important as it is to do what you told your husband or wife you would do, as important as it is to listen and do those things, how critical do you think it is that we give God our undivided attention when he is trying to talk to us? Jesus talked about having ears to hear. He, he often prefaced sermons like this. He or, or she that has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, you know what Jesus was saying there? He's saying, I know a lot of you are going to hear or are going to listen to me, but not many of you are going to actually retain something from this. A lot of you are going to hear me talk, but that doesn't mean you're going to actually internalize this and do something with this. So if you have ears to hear, Jesus says, I want you to listen. Now, I think we've set the table pretty effectively tonight for our study in 1 Samuel 3, which is the perfect example of someone who had ears to hear. If you want to know, if you want to put a, a heading over this chapter of the Bible next to what your Bible already has, I think ears to hear might be a pretty good way to describe Samuel as a child of God. Now, we've already established that the world 3,000 years ago was pretty bad. You may think, well, it couldn't be that bad. It's Israel. It's the people of God. It was a dark, dark place. They had fallen far away from God. The priesthood was corrupt, and the people were by no means encouraged to go and worship the Lord. If not for a woman named Hannah, who patiently persevered and prayed to God to redeem her situation for good, remember, she was replaced by her husband. She was looked down on because she couldn't have kids. She knew her situation was not getting any better and she had no authority she had no uh, uh, rights in her time she had no personal agency in her time she was beholden to her husband she was beholden to the religious system so she prayed for God to do something and make something out of her life for good so God gave her a son and she named him Samuel because Samuel means to lend him to the Lord so she gave him right back to God and even though the situation at the religious headquarters at the tabernacle it wasn't really good either. The priest was really lackluster. He had two sons that were very corrupt. They were doing damage to Israel. They were discouraging people from coming to worship. People were uh, being uh, led astray by their uh, malpractice and, and really bad behavior. They were taking advantage of people. So the, the priesthood was corrupt. It was the only place you could go to worship. So it wasn't like you could go somewhere else or start another place down the road. There was one place to worship and, and these guys were giving it a very bad name. Eli himself had been very slack in his faith. He had shown some remorse, but he, he really wasn't the kind of, of leader that Israel needed like they had had before through Joshua or Moses or so forth. So 1 Samuel 2 tells us that the, the boy Samuel was dedicated to God and he began growing in his faith in favor with the Lord, not thanks to the people that he was living around, but thanks to his own faith in God and God's response to him and, and, and his mother's prayers. So chapter 3 is going to show us what was really key to him taking the next step. Uh, he's, he's been introduced to God. He, he knows about God. But chapter 3 is really where he takes the next step and becomes a, a, a disciple like we all want and should be. And we're going to see how he will become an instrumental part of Israel's revival going forward. 
So I love how this chapter begins. It tells us that not many, if anybody, was hearing from God in these days. But Samuel's going to prove to us it wasn't because God was not speaking. It was because they were not listening. We, we can read between the lines. The scripture says there that there was no widespread revelation. The, the, the word of God was rare in those days. Uh, the priest's vision was dim, which symbolic for the whole nation that nobody really could see clearly. No one really had an idea of what God was wanting to do and what God was willing for them. But the reason why they were all so lost, it wasn't because God had cut them off. It turns out, they were not listening. So there was no right, widespread revelation because there was no wholehearted devotion. Does that make sense? A lot of times, you know, and, and as a pastor, I know I can be sensitive to this because I'm the preacher and I often get the blame. A lot of times people say, well, Justin, I mean, you know, I just don't feel it anymore. And and, and the church just isn't what it used to be. And and my response is always going to be, not because I'm the preacher and I'm defensive, but because the Bible is, is really the source that we go to. The reason why the revelation is not widespread and the reason why the spirit is not moving is because there is no wholehearted devotion. You say, well, Justin, you know, I need, to, I, need to be, I need to be pumped up and I need to be, and, you know, I need to feel something that I might respond. That's not how it worked in the Bible. In the days in the Bible when people wanted to get a hold of God, they would just come before him with wholehearted devotion. They would pour out their heart to him and they would not get up from the altar until he moved. But guarantee it, he will move and he will pour out if we are that dependent on him. I mean, again, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. We pray on Monday and on Wednesday, there's no answer, so we move on. That's not how it works and that's not what gets results. The reason why there no, was no widespread revelation is there was no wholehearted devotion. It, it takes some dedication to get through some of the darkest times this world finds itself in when the people of God will call on him and not budge until he moves. Now, Eli, Eli, again, Eli had a dim eyesight. Again, I think that's a picture of the whole nation being spiritually blinded. Verse three says that the lamp, before the lamp of God went out. Now, I wanna make it clear. That verse is not suggesting that the lamp was about to go out or that it ever went out. If you know your Bibles, you know that in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, uh, there's, a, there, there's a very stir, uh, uh, important prescription given that the priest never let the menorah or the lampstand run out of oil. And you've heard of Hanukkah before because Hanukkah is the festival where they didn't have any oil and God miraculously provided it during the intertestament, during the middle of the New Te- Old and New Testament, that time period. But that's where that message comes from. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, God uh, 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 called on the, the, the Levites to appoint an altar boy, essentially, to appoint a young man to basically have a full-time job. You keep the light on you keep the oil in the manure you keep the flames burning and who was the one keeping the flames burning in this story in this generation it was Samuel Samuel we can read in the context he is the altar boy who is in the in the uh, before the holy place keeping the manure burning and, and and lo and behold not just is he physically keeping the light burning but spiritually 
He's the one that keeps the lamp burning for Israel. Spiritually speaking, he's the reason why the lamp keeps burning for generations because if not for Samuel, there wasn't anybody else. Do you see the, the message there? That Samuel is in the, in the tabernacle keeping the oil burning, keeping the oil filled and the, the lamp burning and it's spiritually reminding us that Samuel's the one. Samuel's the one that was seeking the Lord when nobody else was. So here's what I think is good news for you. There may be no widespread revelation. There may be no national revival, but that doesn't mean that you can't be revived. The, the, the biggest lie that we believe as Christians is that we can't get closer to God until everybody gets closer to God. Where do you find that in the Bible? Listen, I want revival too, and I want to see the church full, and that's going to make me feel really good when it happens. But I'm not at the mercy of you getting close to God. I'm not at the mercy of, of everyone else getting closer to God for me to get close to God. That's not the message of the Bible. I know that a lot of people, you know, like big, shiny, you know, uh, movements. And, and when, when a lot of people are doing something, people want to do what they're doing. But that's not what it means. That, that's not what it takes to get close to God. You and I can get close to God if we are like Samuel. And even though nobody else is, even the preacher, that doesn't mean that we can't. Are you picking that up? Do you see, the, do you see what this chapter is trying to teach us tonight? That yeah, the nation was spiritually dead. Even the priest wasn't helping them out. But Samuel found a way. I don't think the message is that if Samuel hadn't responded, the lamp would have burned out. I think the message is that God's always got a remnant of believers. God's always going to have people on the fringe and the margins raise up and step up when it looks like nobody else is going to. Remember the story of Elijah whenever uh, he was panicking because he was the only one left. And God said, Elijah, uh, don't worry. I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal or have not kissed his idols. God said, Elijah, I've got a remnant. I know we often pull our hairs out because we think, you know, are there any, are there any Christians left? Are, are there enough of us left? And, and the question isn't, are there enough of us? The question is, are you, are we, are, am I responding to God like I can? In the, in the book of Luke, when the New Testament opens up, we're told that there was a remnant of priests who were continuing to serve the Lord even though most of the nation had turned away and hardly anybody was going to the temple to worship. But Zechariah was still there going into the holy place hoping that God would move. And of course he did. After 400 years of silence, we often think that there aren't enough of us for God to do anything or that we need more to get closer. But we need to remember, church, that God's always got a remnant. Romans 11 says, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. The question is, are you part of it? The, the question isn't, is there a revival that's gonna happen that's gonna get me closer to God? The question is, are you part of the remnant that's close to God even though nobody else is? Are you part of the remnant that are here, that are listening to God when everybody else is doing something else? Preoccupied with something else. We, we can't make excuses. We cannot look for a way out. We cannot give up. 
As long as this earth is spinning, God has a remnant and you and I can be a part of it by his grace. You know what God's waiting on? He is waiting on us to clear our minds and give him our full attention. If we really want to see him work, he, his light has not gone out yet. He's still on the throne. It's time for us to start listening, tuning in to what he has to say. You say, Justin, how do, how do you know? How do you know there's still hope? How do you know that, that it, it, it's, it's just that, I'm, that me and my attention are the problem? How do you know that, that I can get closer to God uh, without some mighty miracle taking place that's going to get my attention? Here's what I know. I know that Romans eleven five says there is a remnant in every generation. And I also know this, that God's word is his voice to every generation. For 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. You know what that means? From page to person, God is talking. You don't have to wait for God to audibly speak to you, right? We're not, the, the revelation's complete. Front to back, Genesis revelation, the word of God is complete. That means that there's equal playing field, that some people aren't holier than others. Somebody might say, well, God told me this. I didn't, if it's not in the Bible, God didn't tell them that. But here's the thing. God does not speak to me any more than he speaks to you because God's word is open and accessible to every one of us. And it's been translated into every language known to man. How do I know there's hope? How do I know that you and I can get close to God? How do I know that it's our attention that's the issue? It's because the Bible is the word of God and every page he speaks from, God moves from page to person. To suggest that we can't still affect the world for his glory is an insult to his word. It's disrespectful to his word because God's word is still speaking and from page to person, if we read it, he will speak to us personally and collectively. So I think, I think what we need tonight, I think, I think we need to learn how to listen to God, how to listen to God, which is something that Samuel's just figuring out. And listen, no disrespect to Samuel. He was a child. He was in a generation where nobody was seeking the Lord and he figured it out somehow. So if Samuel could figure out how to listen to God, there's hope for you. There's hope for me, right? And that's not to insult you. That's just to say, hey, if he could, you could. We all can verse 5. So he ran to Eli because Samuel thinks that Eli is the one talking to him. Here I am for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. He laid down again. And he went, he said, lie down again. And he went and laid down and the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose up, went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and, and what, we, what, what that really means is he didn't know God's voice, because this has never happened to him before. And again, there was no Bible back then. It was literally just from heaven to earth. It wasn't page to person yet. The revelation was still being given, and Samuel's a big part of it getting to us. His name's on the book, obviously. So he did not know the Lord or not recognize the Lord, and nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So this is all brand new for Samuel. 
And the Lord called to Samuel again, and the, the third time he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. So God uses Eli, even though Eli was not really where he needed to be. And, and I love, I read that verse all the time because, hey, if, if God used Eli and he was not in his will, he can use preachers like me. So God tells Eli, uh, hey, or, or Eli recognizes, hey, God's trying to talk to this kid, so I need to help him out. Uh, verse 9, go and lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, your, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called at, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. So I'm not going to give you a, 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 a real profound, deep, you know, method as how to live, listen to God. It's very simple, after all. So I want to take a few minutes as we wrap up to talk about how we can hear God's voice and how we should respond appropriately. First up, we got to give God our complete attention and submit to his complete authority. Both of those are essential we got to give God our complete attention. We can't listen to two things at one time or more than that. We have to give him our complete attention and we have to submit to his complete authority. So two, 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 two questions i got to ask you. What are we even doing with God and his word if we're not giving him our complete attention? What are we doing? Well, I mean, I'm just doing this because the teacher assigned me to do this and i got to make sure I do this to check a box. That's not how it works with God. God is not just wanting you to show up and, and sit down and, and walk out confused or, or, you know, with words jumbling around your head. He wants you to actually listen. If you don't want to listen, he'd rather you just not pretend. So why are we even pretending if we're not listening completely? So that's number one. Number two, question number two, why even come to God if we're going to come with our minds already made up? So that's why submitting to his authority is important. We often come to God with our minds already made up, demanding that he convince us otherwise. A lot of times we come to God with preconceived ideas and predetermined beliefs. And I tell you, we do this in an oh-so-subtle way. We come to God, especially we open his word, we listen to his messenger, and we have our minds already made up. Maybe the most egregious thing that we do to frustrate the hearing and listening to God is, or, or, or inhibit him from talking to us clearly is that we bring things into the text with us. There are two ways to read the Bible or listen to a sermon from someone who's being led by God, anointed by God. And, and I know not everybody, you know, not every preacher, you know, everything they say is, is trustworthy. I try to make sure everything I say is in line with his word. So I hope you can, you can count on that. But how can you read the Bible and listen to a message from his word effectively? Uh, let's not kid ourselves. We all have beliefs and convictions and ideas that exist in our minds apart that are not necessarily from the Bible. It's important that we are self-aware enough so that we can allow God's word to take precedent and have priority over what's already in our minds. So there's two approaches that we'll take. We either evaluate our minds with his word or we evaluate his word with our minds. Do you see the difference? We either open the Bible and say, okay, God, your word is right. What I've already got predetermined and preconceived, I'm willing to say it's not as right as your word is. But a lot of times we open the Bible and we say, well, that can't be true and that can't be so and that can't happen that way and I can't do that, God, because this is what's going on. Do you see what, what happens? 
We evaluate his word. We filter his word through what we've already decided. What does that accomplish? It just kind of makes us halfway mixed up. So there's a difference in letting the text have authority over us in asserting our own authority over the text. As in, we either go to the text and say, the Bible, God's word's authoritative, I'm going to submit to it, or we say, okay, God, here's a few things that I can't negotiate about. Here's a few things that are going to have to be my way. I'm going to have to figure out how to work it out with you and, and, and get as much as I can from you, but I can't take all of it because I've got some things already made up in my mind. Sometimes we read into the text, but the right way is to let the text speak over us. The only effective and right way to handle the Bible is to allow the text to read and speak and instruct us, filter and process what we already have in our minds through what God says. This is not easy. We've all got stuff in our minds already that we bring into the text with us. We've got feelings and personal dreams. We've got family beliefs. We've got cultural conditioning. We've got political views. And if we're not careful, we'll water the word down to go along with what we already believe and what we already think is right. Let me, let me ask you this. If you go to your mama or your boss or your teacher, especially your mama. But if you go to somebody that has authority over you and you say, I can't do what you've told me to do because I've already made my mind up that I'm right and you're not right. And I'll listen to some of what you say, but not all of what you say. How's that going to work at school or at work or at home? Not very well, right? And why do we treat God with less respect in a message with less respect, and we cross our arms and say, okay, God, here's a box that you can work in, but I've got my politics made up, and I've got my own family beliefs, and I've got my own cultural conditioning, I've got my own dreams, and as long as you can operate in that box, have at it. But if you can contradict what I already decide, hey, I don't really know if I can take it. So when we say speak for your servant hears, here's what, we, here's what it's about. Listening and being ready to apply. That we go into God willing to be enlightened, inspired, and corrected if, if we need to be corrected. But we go in listening, ready to apply what God says to do. Now, we're going to have to be ready to let go of some beliefs we're going to have to be ready to let go of some dreams. We're going to have to be ready to say no to ourselves if we're going to listen to God as we need to. You know, Jesus, we love Jesus. He said a lot of amazing things, but he also said some very offensive things. Offensive to people like us. On one occasion, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, but I can, Jesus. You don't understand Jesus. I'm really good at listening to two people at the same time. What a joke. Jesus says, and you cannot serve two masters. You either hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And in this instance, he's talking about money, which that's a whole other sermon. But you could replace money with anything that you give authority to over God. Now, Jesus preached a lot about how money has a power over us, over God, which is a whole other sermon that we do a couple times a year. But you can take this in a lot of directions. You cannot serve two masters. You either listen to one or you listen to the other. Think about how offensive this was when Jesus said this to people. 
Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you're going to follow me and you're going to put your dreams in front of mine, you're going to say, hey, God, I can't serve you. It's going to make me uncomfortable. And Jesus says, you better think again because I don't have anywhere to lay my head at night. I'm not living in a mansion. I'm not living in a penthouse suite when I visit town. I'm literally homeless. So when he said to people, you follow me wherever I tell you to go, and we say, well, I don't know about that, God. That might be costly. And he says, you think? I mean, remember that guy that said to Jesus, I'll follow you, but hey, you know, I got to go home and take care of some stuff at home. My dad's getting older. I don't want to abandon him. And Jesus, the most insulting thing he ever said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, Jesus knew he was hurting people's feelings here, and he knows that hurts our feelings, and he knows that we hear that and think, well, that's insensitive. But don't you think if he said it, he knows that we need to hear it? Luke 14, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, he doesn't leave anything out, does he? I mean, you think, Jesus, okay, you could stop at father and mother. I mean, I get it. He says, no, I'm going to make sure you know I'm being very serious. You put me first or you don't put me anywhere at all. Now, now, listen, Jesus is not telling you to follow him and you're going to be an, a, a deadbeat dad or a deadbeat husband or a, district, a, district, you know, a, a parent. He's not saying that following him means you just don't care about the people in your life. No. Obviously, he taught us to love and to care and to serve. But don't you get the picture here? That if you're going to listen to somebody, who's it going to be? Right? Do, do you see how serious this is to Jesus? I don't think he uses the word hate lightly. And what he means is that your love for God is so rich that it looks like everything else is not as important. He goes on after that and he says, whoever does not bear, my, bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? What's the most important thing when you're building something? Reading the plans. Comprehending the instructions. Because we've all built something and we didn't listen to the instructions, and we have a few pieces left over, don't we? And they usually turn out to be pretty important. That tells me that we have to be willing to deny ourselves if we're going to get all that we can and need from God's Word. We cannot come to God's Word with these stipulations. We cannot say, God, I've got my priorities and my commitments and my views. We cannot give God a box. That's like ripping the Bible into pieces and saying, God, there's only a few pages left. So if we're going to have ears to hear, we must cast ourselves before God and his word as a total blank slate and let him write on our hearts as he sees fit. He's not going to make you a worse person. He's not going to make you a bad person. He's not going to make you anything that's not the best version of you that you can be. And I guarantee you that's going to be the thing that you need to be as a husband, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as a parent, as an employee. God's going to make you the best version of that as possible. So I think we can go with God on what he says, don't you? We're scared to because we feel like it might take away from our focus. Exactly, that's what it's supposed to do. Right? Because it gets our focus on him. He may ask you to do something with your money, your time, your future that feels impossible, but he gives you the strength to do what's right and what's best. But... We mentioned this earlier. When we listen to God, we need to listen to God with the intentions of obeying God. There's a lot of, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of livestock in the church every Sunday. And here's what I mean by that. 
we're really good at saying, hmm, agreeing, right? I'm not going to make fun and, and, and say we're cows, but you know what cows do? They just moo all the time, right? They just, mm, right? They like, they like what they hear, but do they do anything with it? We don't just need to come into church and be cattle and munch on the grass and mm, a little bit and then leave. James said it best. Do not just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And you know where James got that from, don't you? His big brother, Jesus, taught a very famous parable about a wise man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came and the wind blew and the house stood strong. But what's the condition? Hears and does. Because you know the alternative? The house that fell down? You know, what, you know what these two houses had in common? Both of their masters heard the word. The guy whose house fell apart, he heard everything. He just didn't do anything with it. So who is a wise man? Who is a wise woman? Who is a wise person? They hear the word and they do something in response. So we must listen with focused attention Willing minds, eager hearts to do something in response. Attention, willingness, eagerness. Samuel was asked to address the mess that the previous administration left behind. It was going to be a very difficult task to lead the nation out of the mess that they were in. But down in verse 19 through 21, here's what the scripture tells us. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Sam, the Lord appeared again to Samuel at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 1, the word of Samuel came to all of Israel because the word of God first came to Samuel. Do you see the, the connection? God told Samuel, hey, I'm going to put you in charge. Eli's house has made a mess. I'm going to take them out and put you in their place. But you're going to have to listen to me and do what I tell you to do and go to Israel and tell them to do what I've told you to do. But again, verse 19 says that the Lord was with him and his words did not fall to the ground. So here's what we know. When we listen to God's word, he blesses our words and our works. I'm not going to say that everybody's going to agree with you, everybody's going to cooperate with you, but what, I, what, what, I, what this means is when you're serving God and doing what he says you should do, he's going to make sure that you know, hey, I'm in the right place, I'm doing the right thing, I am secure, I am fulfilled, I'm at peace. Nothing compares to that. Samuel knew, even though he didn't have everybody on his side, even though it was a very difficult task at hand, he knew he listened to God, he obeyed God, and God did not let his words fail or his works fail. What that means is that God did not let those be in vain. Now, there's going to be days where you wonder, is it worth it? Am I accomplishing any good? Samuel didn't lead the nation to, in revival overnight. It took decades. It took a long time. Things get worse in the next few chapters. But he stood faithful. 
So here's where we land tonight. You know if you're listening to God or not. I, I, I can't convince you. You know, I'm not trying to get under your skin and make you second guess anything. You know if you're listening to God. God knows if you're listening to him, of course. You may be blowing smoke around somebody else, but God knows if you're for real. You know if you're for real. So do you have ears to hear? Are you listening and seeking to apply God's word or are you making excuses? And, and, and I love you. I'm, I, listen, we're friends. I don't know what you're going through and how hard it is for you to do this and that. I don't know what you're dealing with. I just know this. We make excuses a lot. And we but or and and I can't and it doesn't, you know, God understands. God understands. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. That's how much he understands. But that doesn't mean he's going to leave you that way. Right? So are you listening to God's word with ears to hear? Are you applying God's word? Your own words and works reveal your integrity in your sincerity. One day we're going to be judged for what we did with what we heard. All across the Bible, there are many stories that went in contrary to God's intent because people just didn't listen and people didn't do what he said to do. They listened to their feelings and their families and their culture and their politics and their own flesh and their own dreams. But where will those things take us in the end? Not where we want to be. So maybe we can be like young Samuel tonight, every day even, and say, speak for your servant ears. Can we say that together to help us get this, into this habit of going to God, of every night, every morning, opening our Bibles and just saying, speak. Y'all say it with me. Speak for your servant hears. And when you read something you don't like, and when the Holy Spirit starts telling you to do something with your time, your money, your family, your decisions that you don't really want to do, keep, keep, don't take it out of gear. Don't let off the gas, right? Don't, don't turn around. Keep on saying it. Speak, God. And I don't really like that. I don't really want to do that. But God, I need to hear this. Speak for your servant ears. Speak. So when God starts speaking, keep listening. And go beyond that. Don't just listen. Apply it to your life. Don't be like a bucket of paint that just sits on a shelf. That paint was meant to be put on the walls, right? The word is not just meant to be in front of us and talk to us. It's meant to be in our hearts and live out through us. Speak for your servant hears. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your voice. God, we live in a generation where there is, there is no widespread revelation, that's for sure. There's no frequent vision, that's for sure. Churches are, are smaller than ever. People are farther away from you than ever. Uh, God, we live in a world where people are listening to everything but you, everyone but you, yet that does not mean there is not a voice that we can listen to. You are the voice in the wilderness. You are the word that speaks uh, to us in the time of silence. You are the light in the darkness. So God, open our eyes and open our ears, open our hearts that we might would listen to what you say. And as we would be like Samuel and go before you every morning, every night, every day, speak for your servant ears. Lay aside our preconceived, predetermined notions and let you write on our hearts that we might be the people you've called us to be. Father, thank you for these people here tonight.
Would you open their hearts and teach them and guide them and help them apply your word? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.